Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, June 12th, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I am the senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I am joined on the podcast today by Slash Film Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writer Chris Evangelista. Hello, folks. All right, guys. I think this is going to be a relatively short episode of the podcast today. We did a big water cooler episode yesterday, jumping back into the news today. So let's get right into it. So, uh, Chris, the Swamp Thing show for DC Universe, we, we've talked about this show a little bit and uh, the, the troubles that it was having and the fact that it was... I don't, I don't actually remember if we talked about that it was canceled, like, basically the day that it premiered. But give us a little bit of background on the show and then um, the latest news that we know about it. Uh, yeah, so the Swamp Thing show, even before it aired, there was something amiss. Uh, it was originally supposed to have, the first season was supposed to have 13 episodes. And they were almost done filming, and then uh, DC Universe slash Warner Media cut the episodes down to 10, which caught almost everyone involved with the show by surprise. Like, they're members of the cast we're going on Instagram being like, what, what's going on? Why are they sending us home? And every at, when that happened, we all started theorizing, uh-oh, is this show in trouble? But uh, perhaps to counter that, the same day that news broke, DC Universe put out a trailer to be like, no, 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 the show is fine. Here it is. It's really happening. And that sort of calmed everyone down and everyone just assumed, all right, I guess it was just some weird thing that happened. So the show premiered, uh, it aired one of its 10 episodes, and then it immediately got canceled. Uh, and this caught, uh, you know, the, the, com the, the film community, the TV community completely off guard because, you know, shows get canceled all the time, but it's very rare that something gets canceled almost immediately like this. And apparently uh, we weren't the only ones caught off guard by this because there's a new article in Business Insider where people involved with the show, producers and crew members, uh, g uh, talk anonymously about how just completely uh, blindsided they were by this news. Uh, no one involved with the show apparently thought this cancellation was coming. 
uh, not only that, but they they had like an entire three season arc planned out. Everyone just was just assuming the show was going to last, and it clearly didn't. And you know, the first season will air in full, but that's it. And you know, there there's rampant speculation about why this happened. Um, when it when it got canceled, there was this Twitter thread going around saying the cancellation was due to this huge tax error. But uh, a few days ago, Deadline kind of debunked that, saying that's actually not what happened. And in this article, they there's a few theories going around, one of which is that Warner Media is probably just going to shut down uh, DC Universe entirely or sort of roll it into their upcoming streaming service. So uh, right now, everything is kind of up in the air. Uh, you know, I have a feeling that is what's going to happen. And if it is, we'll probably find out sooner rather than later because the Warner streaming service is coming relatively soon. But mm-hmm. as of now, Swamp Thing is is the first casualty of, of DC Universe. Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a, like a sort of a fascinating story because this is, you know, this was not just like some throwaway show. James Wan, who directed Aquaman for Warner Brothers, was producing this, or executive producing it. So like, it, and Lynn Wiseman, who's like a, you know, say what you will about the quality of the movies that he's made. He's like actually a, a known quantity in Hollywood, was directing the pilot. And um, I mean, there, there was like a lot of hype about this. And to see it just sort of collapse so spectacularly, I, I wonder if we're ever going to find out like the true story of what exactly went down here. But um, yeah, as you mentioned, I think the, um, the rest of the show's 10 episode first season will be released on DC universe. And that's basically going to play out. I think one episode a week until the finale on August 2nd. So if, you know, (laughs) if you're still interested in watching Swamp Thing, even after all of these sort of behind the scenes troubles and knowing that the show has been canceled, uh, you can check it out there. Brad, I'm I'm interested, um, you know, as somebody who covers the superhero beat regularly for Slash Film, the idea of a Swamp Thing show potentially leading into a Justice League dark team-up show, is that, um, you know, we've talked a little bit about a, a potential Justice League dark movie that has um, never actually come to fruition, but has been bandied about for many, many years. Is that something, you know, being presumably more familiar with those characters than I am, is that something that you'd be interested in seeing in, you know, an alternate universe where Swamp Thing wasn't immediately canceled? Uh, I mean, I, I'm i not as familiar with Justice League dark as I am with other sects of the DC Comics universe, but I've, I've always been interested in seeing a different team come together than your signature Justice League with Wonder Woman, Superman, and Batman, simply because I like to see some of the characters that are lesser known get the spotlight because it means we might something get something a little bit different from the usual superhero story scenarios that constantly play out at the summer uh, box office. Mm-hmm. Um, so my, my only hesitation is that this is something that's for DC Universe, and so far they're you know, Titans, you know, didn't really seem to be that great. I've heard Doom Patrol is good, but again, I'm still kind of just turned off by the idea of that, like, this, all these DC Universe shows still feel a little bit cheap. And it's, it's, it's the same kind of thing that has kept me from really buying into any of the DC TV shows that are on the CW. It's, you know, if, if I want to see a superhero movie, I want to see a full budget thrown at it, and I don't want it to feel like it's being cheapened at all. And even though it seems like DC Universe is throwing maybe a little bit more money at these shows than the CW does uh, on a network uh, budget, it still feels 
you know, less than what I want to see from characters that deserve and need, you know, strong visual effects and production design and all that thing. Yeah, yeah. And as Chris mentioned, the Warner Media streaming services, I think it's supposed to be launching in beta at the end of this year and officially launching in 2020. So we'll have to see if they end up rolling DC Universe into that or, or uh, you know, getting rid of it entirely or finding some sort of middle ground there. Um, let's move on to our, our next story, and that is some changes in the works at Sony Pictures Animation. Brad, what's going on over there? Yeah, so uh, Sony Pictures Animation uh, had great success last year with the release of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And it seems like that has maybe inspired them to take a look at the, uh, their animation slate and branch out a little bit from the usual family-friendly fare that they've been trying to make alongside other major animation studios. Uh, when it comes to animated movies, there's usually really not a lot of uh, projects that are made that are geared more towards adults. Animated movies are much more frequently made for family-friendly entertainment. So Sony Pictures Animation is looking to uh, push their way into more adult skewering projects, uh, especially in their feature film territory, and continuing to expand that, that same vibe in television as well. And that includes uh, a variety of different projects that they are currently working on, which includes uh, a revival of the Boondocks that involves the original series creator, uh, a superhero comedy series called Super Bago, uh, an anthology horror series called Hungry Ghosts, and two feature films from Jendi Tartakovsky, one being an action-oriented series called Black Knight, and another uh, comedy called Fixed that will be an R the Sony Pictures Animation's first R-rated movie. So, Brad, uh, you wrote the, a whole piece on Slashdown. I'll, I'll link to this in the show notes so people can actually go through and, and read sort of breakdowns about all of these different projects. But um, instead of, you know, breaking them down one by one, just give me like the two that you're most interested in and why you think uh, that's a significant thing for Sony Pictures. For, for me, I'm all about the two animated features from Jendi Tartakovsky, simply because I think he... Uh, is one of the most brilliant uh, minds working in animation today. You know, he's uh, uh, delivered things that I loved in my childhood, like Dexter's Laboratory, um, cool projects that gear more towards adults, like Samurai Jack. And he's got this unique visual sensibility, and he doesn't stay, you know, in one lane. He he does a wide variety of things, from you know, comedies that are geared towards kids. You know, he's also responsible for Hotel Transylvania, you know, to much more mature subject matter. You know, Samurai Jack is a a very bloody action-oriented series that is not meant for kids. And so seeing him do a variety of animated projects is really exciting to me. Uh, Black Knight seems like it's kind of in line with Samurai Jack's style. It's supposed to follow a highly skilled and loyal knight who, after failing to protect his king, must transform into the Black Knight to save his kingdom. Uh, it says it involves ninja action. And then Fixed uh, is something completely different. It's a comedy about a dog who is in love with the show dog next door and suddenly learns he's going to get neutered the next morning. So he decides to go out for one last night with his best friends before he loses his balls. <laughs> uh, so, you know, and it, it, that sounds like right in line with some of the R-rated comedies Sony has done before, uh, especially after doing Sausage Party, which mm -hmm. even though that was a Sony movie, that was not a Sony Pictures animation movie. Interesting. Yeah, that was the Sausage Party was the first thing that came to mind there. I forgot that that wasn't a Sony Pictures animation project. So, um, yeah, it's, it's sort of interesting. I mean, especially with uh, seemingly all of the other major studios um, just staying in the lane of mostly using animation to uh, create projects that are aimed at kids for Sony to be interested in sort of uh, diversifying in this way. 
um, yeah, I, I hope it pays off for them because I feel like there's there's a big opportunity there for creating tons of cool animated stuff that is not just you know things that parents can take their kids to to get out of the heat during the summer for a while, you know. Yeah, and along along with that too, uh, one of the other things that Sony is doing is they're uh, trying to diversify internationally. Uh, one of the things they're doing is they just recently teamed up with uh, Tencent, which is a Chinese production uh, company, and they're helping to produce their forthcoming movie that's called Wish Dragon, which Jackie Chan is producing. And that's more along the lines of the traditional kind of family-friendly animated fare. But apparently that's supposed to be just the beginning of uh, a big initiative to start working with a lot more uh, international filmmakers and talents. Apparently that right now they're developing projects uh, with people from China, Korea, India, Indonesia, Zimbabwe, South Africa, Spain, France, Mexico, Colombia, and Brazil. So they're really trying to expand their appeal as far as projects that aren't just made for American audiences, but for a global audience. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Um, yeah, that's a that's a that also seems like a big deal considering how um, I don't know uh, laser focused a lot of these other animation studios are. So uh, we'll have to keep an eye on that. Um, in the meantime, let's talk a little bit about Russian Doll. This is the Netflix show. Uh, when we talked earlier on the podcast about the pieces of entertainment that we have liked the most from 2019. This was on my list. Um, this Netflix series, it's an eight-episode show that stars Natasha Lyonne. It is terrific, and I would highly encourage anybody to watch it. I'm not going to spoil the events of season one, but uh, yesterday afternoon, season two was officially uh, confirmed, and that is going to be you know, going into production sometime soon for Netflix. So we don't have a release date about when that's exactly going to hit yet. I, I assume sometime in next year, sometimes 2020, because I think uh, the first season of Russian Doll came out in February of this year. So I imagine it'll probably be around that same time or maybe um, a bit later. But uh, the thing about this, and again, I'm not going to spoil the show, but the first season for me sort of works really perfectly. When I was watching the first season and it came to an end, I was very satisfied and thought like that is a spectacular one and done show. And I didn't realize that Natasha Lyonne, uh, Leslie Headland, who directed several of the episodes and co-created the show with her, and Amy Poehler, who is also a co-creator of the show, originally envisioned this as a three-season show. I had no idea about that until I was doing research for this story. And so there isn't really much information out there about what exactly season two is going to be like or which characters it's going to follow or anything like that. So Chris, I'm curious for you, you've also seen Russian Doll, and I'm just wondering if you are sort of trepidatious about the idea of a second season or if you trust that the creative minds behind the show, you know, since this was originally envisioned as a three season thing, that they know what they're doing. What, what are you thinking about Russian Doll season two? Yeah, I'm I'm sort of right there with you. I'm I I loved the first season. I actually think it's probably like the best Netflix original yet. It's probably like the the best one, and it, it's so well done. And Natasha Lyonne is fantastic. And so on one hand, I'm excited to you know get more of that that you know that creative team and Natasha Lyonne handling it. On the other hand, the, the the first season seems so self-contained and ends in such a unique way that I don't really know what else you can do about it. But you know, I'm also not in charge of the show, so <laughs> I, I I trust that they know what they're doing. They have a plan, and they'll 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 deliver something great again. And 
yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to it just to, to spend more time in this world, I guess I can yeah, say. Yeah, certainly. Um, so if, you are, if you've seen the show and you're, you don't really care as much about spoilers and, and you can read between the lines, even the article that I wrote doesn't really spoil anything, but I would encourage you to read that because there are some quotes in there from Natasha Lyonne and uh, I think uh, Leslie Headland as well talking about some of the vague notions they've had about season two. So I'll link to that in the show notes. Um, Chris, tell us about a, another Netflix project, uh, The Division. Yes, the division is a uh, it's a online video role playing game, and it's one of those games that has Tom Clancy's name in front of it, even though I'm sure he had literally nothing to do with it. Also, he's dead now. Um, <laughs> so the division there, the the idea of a division movie has been kicking around since at least 2016, uh, and at that time, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and Jessica Chastain both became attached to the project. However, 2016 was also the year that the Assassin's Creed movie came out, and both the Assassin's Creed and The Division are uh, games from Ubisoft. Uh, is that how you say it, Ubisoft? I, I think so. I'm going to assume that's correct. <laughs> um, so, and as we all know, that didn't turn out so well. The Assassin's Creed movie, you know, was essentially dumped sort of at the end of the year, and it, it bombed, and no one liked it. And uh, and I, I that sort of put the kibosh on this whole project, and there has been sort of no movement on it since 2016. And a lot of people were just assuming, well, that's probably dead. But no, it's not dead. It's alive and well, and it's going to be on Netflix. And even though, again, they they grew, they were attached back in 2016, both Jake Gyllenhaal and Jessica Chastain are still involved, and they're 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 going to be in it, and they're going to produce it, and. Uh, uh, David Leach, the director of um, Deadpool 2 and the upcoming Hobbs and Shaw, and the, uh, the he's like the uncredited director on the first John Wick, is directing the film. So this is a pretty um, impressive lineup for a Netflix movie. And it, it'll be interesting to see how this turns out, because as we all know, video game movies have not really done well in theaters. So maybe if this works... This will be like everyone's going to catch on and be like, all right, this is where our, our video game movies have to go. They have to go to streaming. That was the point that I was going to make. So I think you, you've said it better than I could right there. Um, Brad, do you have any thoughts about this? Like maybe even um, about this this game or this property or these people being involved and uh, also the idea of maybe Netflix sort of stepping up and becoming like the home for this type of uh, adaptation. I mean, I like the roster of people involved for a project like this, but like Chris said, video game movies haven't really done well. And that, that doesn't just mean box office dollars, but that means critically as well. There hasn't really been uh, a really great video game movie. You know, maybe the best one is probably Detective Pikachu now. Um, but, you know, even that wasn't something that was like a showstopper. It, it, it was a fun movie, sure. But you know, it remains to be seen whether or not anybody can make a fantastic film out of a video game. So whether it's on Netflix or in theaters or playing on a screen in a porta potty, the movie still has to be good, you know, for anyone to want to watch it. All right, and let's move on to our last news story of the day, and that is a Dune TV series is coming. Uh, Chris, what is going on here? Uh, yeah, so not only is there a Dune movie being made with um, director Denis Villeneuve, I can't say his name. What is it? I think that's right. I Villeneuve. Think. Villeneuve. All right, yeah. Denis Villeneuve. Let's let's say that's right. Um, he he's making a huge Dune movie with a huge impressive cast, and 
Uh, apparently, Warner Brothers and Legendary are going all in on this Dune idea because they're also making a Dune TV show called Dune the Sisterhood. And uh, he's also going to direct the pilot episode. So uh, this is a, a kind of a big deal because this doesn't happen that often. Um, other studios and other productions have been trying to do stuff like this. Um, at one point, uh, the adaptation of The Dark Tower, the Stephen King uh, series was going to be both a movie and a TV show that were connected. And uh, while there is still going to be a Dark Tower TV show on Amazon, um, it's going to have nothing to do with the movie because the movie bombed. And uh, another Stephen King property, The Stand, was going to have uh, a Showtime miniseries that would lead into a film adaptation. And that didn't come to pass either. And now they're turning The Stand into a uh, CBS All Access show. So other people have been trying to do something like this, but this is, I, uh, as far as I know, it's like the first like synergy thing that's ha that's happened where they're doing both the movie and a TV series that's in the same world as the movie at like the same exact time with the same exact creative team behind it. So this is a uh, pretty, <laughs> it's pretty um gutsy for them because they're, it, it, it all hinders on the idea that people are going to love the Dune movie. Like if the Dune movie comes out and it bombs, I don't know how this is all going to turn out but i guess they're very confident that people are going to really want to spend time in the, in this world yeah i think you're right and i think the um you know for, for all of us who are looking at this from the outside and and just uh, you know on a business level it it does seem a little risky but it also i think bodes very very well for the dune movie and uh a voice that you may have heard in the background of this episode is a uh, slash film writer Huai train Bui, who we've, we've brought on to talk about this because she's the only one of us uh, on this podcast episode anyway who's actually read the book so hd welcome Hi. Oh, yeah. I, I spoiled my coming onto the podcast by <laughs> laughing earlier. Um, so as somebody who has read the book, and, and actually, let me read really quickly what the premise of Dune the Sisterhood, this TV show, is supposed to be about. It says, according to The Hollywood Reporter, it explores the future through the eyes of a mysterious order of women, the Bene Gesserit. Given abilities by their mastery of the body and the mind, the Bene Gesserit expertly weave through the feudal politics and intrigue of the Imperium, pursuing plans of their own that will ultimately lead them to the enigmatic planet Arrakis, known to its inhabitants as Dune. So, H.C., as somebody who has read the book and has a little bit more uh, understanding of this bizarre world that was originally created by Frank Herbert, what do you think about this idea of a, a TV spinoff, and um, do you think that these characters are maybe the, the best ones to follow in a spinoff? Uh, I'm intrigued. Uh, well, this world is incredibly rich. And even having read the book, uh, just the first one, I still don't have quite a grasp on the really complex and dense mythology of the series. I had to actually brush up a little bit to I remember who the Bene Gesserit are because they have a, a really prominent place in the first book, at least, but just kind of brush up on the um, their power and impact on the story and the world at large. But the Bene Gesserit, uh, like you said, they're an order of women, and they kind of are this mystical um, community that uh, tap into the more uh, telepathic and, um, uh, you know, future-seeing uh, aspects of humanity. So basically, in in Dune, the the spice uh, basically allows humanity to tap into all their innate qualities, and in some cases, that goes that um, 
has people going into their more logical qualities and you see you see people who are basically human computers like the Mentat, but the Bene Gesserit, who are all exclusively women, decide to go in the more mystical uh, path and they are thus kind of this um, truth-saying, truth-seeing type of order who uh, have their own, pl- have plans of their own. And um, Rebecca Ferguson's character in Dune, uh, Jessica, is actually uh, a Bene Gesserit. She was raised in this sort of commune to be one of them. And um, when they are, when they breed, when they have the offspring, they're supposed to have only women to continue that line of them. But she actually defies their orders and has a son, which is Timothy Chalamet's character, Paul. Um, so... I am interested to see what they will do with this series. Um, I do think it's a very rich uh, story, and like the idea of having a female-led series set in the world of Dune is really interesting. Um, the mythology again is, you know, kind of always the obstacle when it comes to uh, anything Dune. But uh, having something uh, that is, you know, very unusual for a fantasy series in which you have like mostly female characters would be really cool. I think for me personally, I would have liked to see uh, the Freemen have their own show. They're the the sort of native dwellers of planet Arrakis, and uh, they are kind of the characters who are more coded as people of color, and they are uh, living in this desert planet with um, and are kind of like the lower community of that planet. So that would really be interesting and have much more action. I feel like this one is a little bit more cerebral, but um, I would be interested to see like where they take it. I feel like it'd be a lot of political intrigue and scheming and perhaps some um, more of the fantastical elements of uh, the story. Like I said, they kind of have the more mystical powers. They're compared a lot to witches, which I kind of feel like is the closest parallel between them so it's kind of just like a show about wishes which would be cool Mm -hmm. yeah when i was at the um i think it was the press conference for guardians of the galaxy volume 2 somebody asked zoe saldana what other sci-fi franchise she might be interested in because she's been in like i think three major sci-fi movie franchises so far and she instantly was just like dune i want to play like a member of the Benny Gesserit. So, um, oh, yeah. that might be a cool opportunity for her to, you know, cause obviously she's not in the, the cast of the movie, or I guess it's, they're talking about splitting this into two movies. And I, as far mm-hmm. as we know, she hasn't been attached to that yet, but uh, yet, but this show seems like it could be an opportunity for, um, Vinouve to bring somebody else like that in there and and maybe um you know you're talking about the mythology potentially being like a, a an obstacle for people but maybe you know with huge name brand people maybe they can get Rebecca Ferguson to to be in this I don't know like the fate of her character how she would maybe uh, intertwine into a spinoff show like this but um mm-hmm. you know grabbing somebody like Zoe Saldana would be pretty cool and it seems like she's been you know passionate about that property for a long time so hopefully um you know, those those people can get together in the same room and try to figure something out there. But um, Brad, what do you think? I, you've been silent about about all this stuff. Have you? Are you looking forward to the the Dune movie? Are you interested in this spinoff at all? Yeah, I mean, Dune is something that has kind of evaded my pop culture awareness for a while. Uh, you know, I'm I'm aware that uh, you know this classic novel and how big of a deal it is to uh, sci-fi nerds and things like that. But it's something that I haven't been necessarily compelled to read or learn much about but because of the talent involved i will most certainly see the movie and will probably just reserve any 
judgment that I have until I get a chance to see it because I'm kind of uh, just an outsider looking in. Yep. All right. Well, yeah, the movie comes out on November 20th, 2020. And uh, I don't think we have any sort of release date about when Dune the Sisterhood, the TV show, is supposed to be coming out. But uh, we'll definitely keep you guys posted on all that as we come through. So thanks for for dropping by and dropping some knowledge on us, HT. (laughs) No problem. <laughs> all right. You can find more about all of the stories that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. You can also send your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns to us at peter at SlashFilm.com. And make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. And also don't forget to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you tomorrow.